Well, good morning, Grace. It's great to be with you today. Uh, I wondered if you have, have you seen on, on TV, uh, like daytime TV, no one does that, and it's a regular show, no one does that. But there's this show on TV, it's a game show, it's called To Tell the Truth. You might have seen it because it's been around for 30 seasons, it goes all the way back to 1956. Great like concept. Okay, there's four celebrity panelists and they just sit there and they're going to ask questions later. They're going to be introduced to three like uh, contestants and the panelists are going to ask uh, these three, you know, uh, contestants. One of them has a crazy story. Like there's somebody famous bodyguard or they live a crazy adventurous life, that sort of thing. And while they're, they're trying to figure out which one is telling the truth. Now, the other two uh, contestants are, they're just liars. I mean, and, and here's the thing. They're, they're pretending to be that, that famous person, and the more votes they get by the panelists, the more money they get. So the better they lie, the more homework they do, the more money they go home with. And so those are the imposters. They're called the imposters. So after, you know, all the questions have been asked by the celebrities and then they vote, that sort of thing, right? Then the person, the narrator says, will the real such and such please stand up? That person stands up and then they introduce the other two imposters. And it's really, actually, those are kind of funny stories because like they'll just stand up, tell their name, what they do. A lot of them just actually just work at the show. They're working in the background. And sometimes like, hey man, like I'm, I'm Biff. I live in a tent on Venice Beach. I like Chinese food. Uh, I'm really great at lying, and that's why I got all your votes, so whatever. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun, it's a fun game show. It's great. Uh, when we're looking at today's passage today, it's in James chapter 2. James is doing a, to tell the truth here, and he's talking about telling the truth about what is the real faith, what is real saving faith. But in this case, it's not fun. Uh, it's not a game, and it's not a show. Because the consequences for choosing an imposter, you'll experience the most frightening and, and eternity-altering event that can even be imagined, and that's standing before Jesus the Christ, the King, thinking that you'll spend eternity with him, and he says, I never knew you. That's a harrowing experience, right? That you can, and so eternity, everlasting consequences are going to be found in James chapter 2 today. We'll start in verse 14. And before we get there, I want to introduce you to the two most common imposter faiths that are available. These are the ones, these are the go-to imposters that people find themselves with. Uh, the first, imposter number one, is work your way to heaven. This is the this is the faith claim that says, you know, you can just, you know, earn your approval with God. Uh, what's your name, imposter number one? And he would say, legalism. If I have my good deeds, you know, outweigh my crimes against God and, and my fellow man, then I might have a chance at God accepting me and spend eternity with him. That's not in the Bible, okay? It's not in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. Throughout the Bible, God declares that you, saving faith is by having faith in the gift of salvation that God the Father gives us. It's faith in a gift. 
And it said succinctly, repetitiously, uh, when Paul writes the Ephesians, please note the address or the, the, the numbers here. It's Ephesians 8 and 9 because the next verse follows. I don't want you to see that. But this is about saving faith, and it's in grace. For it is by grace that you've been saved. It's through faith in that grace. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one could ever boast. So they're clearly stated right there. Only by grace you can be saved. Only by the gift of God can you have eternity with him and a relationship with him. What we broke, we can't fix. The only thing we bring to our salvation experience is total depravity. We bring the sludge, he brings the soap. That's imposter number one. Imposter number two is faith without works. A faith that's void of intrinsic desire to change and actually have life change in your life that's visible. What's the name of imposter number two? We'd call it like easy believism. And again, nowhere in the Old Testament or in the New Testament are you going to find that this faith is a saving faith. You're going to always see real faith has real life change. And so even if you look at the the passage we just read, the very next sentence, right after he says it is by faith in the grace that God's given us, he says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Genuine faith always results in genuine change. So those are our two imposters. Will the real saving faith please stand up? And he would say, my name is salvation. It is faith in grace alone, and that faith is never alone. It's faith in grace alone, and that faith is never alone. Now, we're going to go through a few paragraphs today, and I, he, uh, James is going to be going, he's going to be comparing and contrasting the the imposter faith with the true faith. So I want to make it clear which one he's talking about. So we changed the slides a little bit so that real faith is going to be in all capital letters and it's going to be in orange. Imposter faith is going to be in italics in red so that you know. It's going to be hard to miss though because because James is convincing, he is convicting, and he is clear in this set of scriptures. He's going to say, he has one message and he's going to say it six times. He's going to ask, you know, he's going to state his case in a question, and then he's going to illustrate it, and then he's going to explain his point, and then he's going to restate it, and then he's going to re-illustrate it, and then he's going to re-restate it. And the reason he wants, he's doing this is so that we clearly, absolutely, unequivocally understand that saving faith is never without works. In other words, true faith always comes with true works. It's a package. Okay, let's look at the outline here. Here's a statement of, of, of his purpose, but in a question form. It's the very principle of the whole book of James. So in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says uh, he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? <laughs> now, it's interesting that... In the original language that this is written in, in Greek, you, you can write a question in a, in a way 
that the audience knows, well, yeah, the answer is yes, or yeah, the answer is no. And he, this is written in Greek, so it's like the answer is obviously no. So he's saying, like, we would say it like this. Faith without works can't save. Duh. That's how, that's what it looks. So, and so James states that, and now he's going to illustrate it in verses 15 and 16, where he just says, look, if, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and like nearly naked is like what it really means and lacking daily food, and, and one of you says to them, oh yeah, like go in peace, be warm and be filled without giving them the things needed for his body, what good is that? Now first, pause, because it's easy for us to go immediately to the feeling of inadequacy when we're talking about people of, with homelessness, here, especially here in town. That's not who James is talking about. That's a complicated problem. It has complicated solutions. And here's what I would suggest you do, what I do, in this area of homelessness. I give very generously to Grace Covenant Church because we have systems in, in, in place. Our mercy ministry does all sorts of things to make sure that people don't take advantage of our generosity. We give generously to three completely different uh, ministries to people with homelessness with three different ways of doing ministry. So we're kind of covering all our bases. So that part of this is over here. It's not what we're talking about. James is talking about probably the, a story that comes to mind, his mind, it would be when Jesus tells his story of, uh, it's called the Good Samaritan. Many of you know the story. And it's, it's, a, it's more of a parable. And Jesus is talking about a man that's on a journey and he is clearly a victim of violence. Okay, he is mugged and it says left half dead, stripped of his clothing, and malnourished, and then it says, Jesus, when he's telling the story, he's like, two people with these pretend faiths, right? The imposter faiths, they like step around the guy. They see him laying there, and they're just going on their way to their religious activities. And James, James is like, like what, what kind of person does that? that? There's a name for that kind of a hard, calloused soul. He has a word to describe what that means, and this is, again, the theme of his book, verse 17 of chapter 2 says, and also this person, so also faith by itself, and it does not have works, it's dead. James's word for that kind of faith is death. Physical life, it's dynamic, it's productive. Spiritual life, it's supposed to be dynamic and productive. If it's not, it's dead. Faith without works is death. It's an imposter faith. He's saying it's not living, and he's saying so far, he's saying it's not effective. If you bought a car and you open the hood and there's no engine in there, you'd say it doesn't work, it's dead. If you had a power tool, but it didn't have a power pack, it wouldn't work it be dead. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, <laughs> right? I mean, it's pretty clear. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if you have a faith in Jesus that doesn't have works, you should not have any assurance of your salvation. No confidence in your eternal faith. You, you, shouldn't, you should absolutely wonder about your eternal state. You should. Uh, there's a 
There's an absolute consequence for having a real faith in Jesus Christ and the gift of his death and resurrection for our salvation. Here's another way of looking at it. If I had a full pot of coffee, like 12 you know, grown adult cups full of coffee, and I chugged it down like I was getting paid in a contest to how fast I could drink this. Wait a few minutes, and there would be visible signs of me drinking an entire, you know, whatever, pitcher of ice, of, of, of coffee, right? Like it, the caffeine would be invisible, be in my bloodstream, but there'd be all kinds of visible expressions of the caffeine that was in, inside of me. My pulse rate would go up. Uh, I'd start probably getting fidgety and jittery, talking even faster than I am right now, being more obnoxious than I am right now. And there, there'd be measurable differences of an invisible chemical inside of me, something invisible inside showing itself on the outside. If there's no signs of this caffeine, then you'd have to conclude that wasn't real coffee. That's that other, uh, what's it called? Decaf. That's not real coffee, right? So, so James is saying, I, we, we'd be coming to James like, I like some of that uh, Christianity, but the decaf. And James says, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist. It, no external signs. You're living in an imposter kind of faith. And I want you to see that James is talking to us so straight in a, such a straightforward way, and it's not cruel. It's actually out of compassion, because he, he's not talking to the dead. He's talking to the living, and it's very easy to read this section of scripture or even hear this message, and almost immediately go to some friends or family members uh, that have passed, and we and we start wondering, you know, where they're spending eternity. That's not his audience. Those uh, people that we love and care for that have passed, they're in the hands of a merciful God, and their choices are over. He's talking to people that are living. They ha we have choices. And he's saying, you say you have faith in Yahweh, but you don't have like a desire inside of you to change and become like Christ. That's a dead faith. And he just says, and it cannot save. It doesn't work. So he's calling us to reflect and do an inventory on our own faith and saying, is it, is it even real? I mean, do you think you, can, you think you can fool God? You're probably just fooling yourself. I mean, this, this passage really comes home to me. When I was 17, I was invited to uh, a youth summer camp, and it was like one of the national youth ministries, kind of famous and their, like, their premeditated plan to see people you know, come to Jesus was to play, play us hard all day long. And then at night, we'd hear from a, a brilliant speaker that would, play, that would just tell really sentimental and emotional stories. And we would just hear that all week long. After five days, seven days maybe, I don't remember, but like compounded fatigue and exhaustion, and she saved her best, like, old yeller story for the last night. Was not a dry eye in the house. Everyone's crying, and people are coming down front. I'm crying, so I went down front. And, I mean, the people that invited me were celebrating my conversion, and 
And for two weeks, I was really happy. And then for the next three years, I did everything I could to become a pirate. It was the most decadent season of my, of my 60-something years. I mean, I just whatever evil, bad I could do, I set out to do that. So there was no, I don't know. I mean, kind of the question is, is if I'd have passed away between 17 and 20, would I have gone to heaven? And the answer is, only God knows. I mean, I, I could, I don't know, but I know this to be true. I should not, could not be confident about my relationship with God. Because there was way more evidence for death than there was for life in my spirit. And when you consider the, like, the manipulative and conniving method that was used to get me to come down front, there's no telling what <laughs> I was actually believing in. And the, the point here that James like, is bringing to, like from James's perspective, he is not philosophizing like some theology professor on the mysteries of salvation, okay? Because you can get lost in the weeds with that. He's just a clear-minded coach making sure we understand these teachings from Moses all the way through Jesus that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There it is. James stated it, he illustrated it, and now he's going to like explain it to us. Make sure that we are understanding that authentic, tell the truth faith is way more than just belief. Look, look what he says in 18 and 19. <clears throat> but someone will say, uh, you have faith and I have works. Uh, show me your faith apart from show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe in you believe that God is one. Uh, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. This is loaded. This imposter fake faith—it's just recognition of facts, but there's no relationship involved. It's saying that you acknowledge certain truths but there's no acceptance of them. There's no surrender. This is, this is factually true. Stop, this will kind of wreck you for a little bit. That hell is occupied by demons that absolutely know biblical truth. Okay. The, the demonic world, they don't negotiate on if God created the heavens and the earth. They... They, they know for a fact that Jesus was God and man and walked on planet earth without sinning and that Jesus, the Christ, died in a crucifixion death overflowing with pain. That was a night of celebration for the demonic world. They also know for a fact and do not debate that he physically and historically resurrected from the dead and conquered that death. They, the demonic world believes that the Bible is true in what it says. And so, 
biblical true faith is more than knowledge plus the fear of God because it says here that they, uh, they shudder, right? They, even demons believe and they shudder. They, it's where we get like goosebumps. It's, they're, they're panicked in fear. And you can see this in the life of Jesus when he comes and confronts people with, that are demon-possessed. When the demons speak, they're, they're in abject terror, like there's this one scene where um, a, a man is possessed by multiple demons and they just like, hey, don't, Jesus, don't judge us now. Like, uh, send us into those pigs and we'll just run right off a cliff. So Jesus says, okay, that's what you want to do. And they do. I mean, that's how afraid, that's how, that's how much they have reverence without repentance. So it's way more than an intellectual acknowledgement or even <laughs> a, a, a sense of God is who he is and I'm, and I'm not much. And so he's going to state it again in a question form, his, his big principle here in verse 20. Do you, do you want me to show you, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He's going to show what real faith looks like in just a few more in the next set of sentences. But right now he's just saying, look, are you so foolish to think that like faith apart from works is, is going to work? It's useless. Look at it. Look at the summary so far we have. Again, with the clarity. Okay. This, this fake imposter faith, it cannot save. It is dead and it is useless. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And so I think there's an application here, like in James's passionate plea for us to understand what is legitimate and illegitimate because the consequences of, of pick, choosing wrong is, is eternal. He's saying, look, I'm not talking about how a person comes to Christ. He's saying if a person comes to Christ, he has to have these effects. And it's more than intellectual and it's more than fear of God. It's a, there, should, there has to be supernatural proof of life change that a spirit has come alive and a soul is now being ignited and, we're, and we're, we desire to become like Christ in all of our life. So when, I, when, I, when you just kind of step back and you look at what James is doing, I'd like us to, I would like us to consider this. At Grace, we say every believer is a minister. And so we do, like, here's a ministry training event. Look what James is doing. The most compassionate thing or conversation topic to have with someone is not necessarily in their, in their doubting their faith. It's not necessarily running straight to Bible truths that assure them of their salvation, right? That, that could be one in some people's lives. That could be compassionate. In some people's lives, you might be actually doing them evil. James here is saying, you know, I'm looking at your life, and I'm not going to run to assurance. I'm going to go over here and say, look, like, let's talk to me, Matt, set from, from year 17 to 20, in the pirate years, James would say, you say you're a fruit tree. I'm not seeing any fruit. <laughs> so maybe what you have here is you bought into an imposter because you should have evidence you could, sh and I, in the interview, it could go like this, like, Matt, why don't you show me some passages in the Bible that would give you confidence that you have the Holy Spirit of God that resurrected Jesus from the, from the dead in your spirit now. 
and that's causing life change. James would say there's something worse than thinking you're a believer. It's thinking you're a believer and you're not. So that's why he's talking to us in such a forthright way. And now he's going to give us two examples of what the real faith looks like. And they're, they're contrasting because they're, these two people are not very much alike. One of them is going to be Abraham and another person will be Rahab. Look what it, and here's his example of genuine, living, authentic uh, biblical faith. 21 through 23 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac up on the altar? You see, that faith, that faith was working together with his works, and faith was perfected or completed, different translation, same word, uh, by his works, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. And you, and you see, that person is justified by his works and not by his faith alone. And in the same way, there, were, there was also a person named Rahab, and she was a prostitute. She was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Let me explain what, what those stories are about, but, but first let me just point out that James is picking two completely different, couldn't be any more opposite people in some respects in the Bible. You have Abraham father of the nation of Israel, a Jewish, right? And then you have Rahab, who's outside of Israel. She's a pagan and she's a prostitute. Abraham is admired, known for his morality and righteous life. He's the patriarch of the Jewish faith. And Rahab is a harlot and she is damaged goods. But they both come to a real-life saving faith. And I think James picks these two characters because it's like whatever your pedigree, whatever your background, right, this is what it looks like. Abraham was justified. He proved his justification when he offered up his son Isaac uh, as a gift to God. He was in, in an act of obedience. I'll explain in a moment. But, and then in Rahab, we don't have time to study her, but you can look her up and a book called Joshua chapter 2, Rahab is this pagan that invites two or some soldiers in from, from Israel, uh, Joshua, and they're on a recognizance mission, and they're in danger. They're looking at Jericho and to attacking Jericho. She hides them at her, in her apartment and then sends them out another way. In other words, she risks her life to make sure that they live and, and be part of the conquest of, of Jericho. That was her act of faith. It was a real faith. It was real actions. Now, if you look closely at uh, the Abraham story, there's an application for many of us in the room here, and it helps us understand what real faith looks like. Look at verse 20, uh, uh, let's see, 23. In verse 23, it says, And uh, was not... Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac to the altar? Okay, if you write, I'm sorry, that's verse 21. I, I misspoke. That's verse 21. If you write in your margins, that's Genesis chapter 2. That's the end of Abraham's life, and, and it is the climax of his faith journey. And then later on, I mean, actually, later on in James's story, he goes back in time, verse 23 says, and you see that faith 
that, that faith working together with his works and that faith was perfected or completed by his works and scripture was fulfilled and it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That phrase in quotes, counted to him as righteousness, he was called a friend of God. That's Genesis 15. That's early in his journey. And the point here is, is, is Genesis chapter 15 or verse 23 is talking about his faith being rooted and then the root of his salvation, the root of his justification, and then later on, verse, chapter 22, that is the fruit of his salvation. It is the proof of it. That's what James is talking about. Because faith is working together with works. That phrase, faith working together with roots, we would say uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, working together is where we get the word synergism. Or synergy. In the other words, they're working together. Like real faith produced real works that produced a, like a deeper faith that produced deeper works until it says it was perfected or completed in this Genesis chapter two part of, 22 part of the story where he's offering Isaac up, perfected, completed. Wait a minute. That's James chapter one. Remember James said, here's the purpose of our life together to become complete, perfect, Mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Mature, complete, the complete, their word is, is this word that James loves so much. It means perfect, lacking in nothing. Just, in this moment of Abraham's in chapter 22, Abraham is becoming like Christ in all of life. J Abraham is becoming like Christ in his life with Isaac. Isaac was his most treasured by possession, we'll just call it that, his son. And he's, he's being, God asked him to like give me Isaac back. And God, be, and Abraham becomes like Christ in his life with Isaac by opening his hands and saying, it's not my son, he's yours. That's what it looks like. And now it took 40 years. That's kind of, kind of the point here is, is that Abraham's life, here's a wonderful quote. Abraham's life was really nothing more than a series of surrenders to God. That's how we become like Christ in all of life. That's how we have a perfect and complete faith. Wait, my life and your life in faith, true faith, is nothing more than a series of surrenders, right? Of, on our journey to become like Christ. Abraham took 40 years, still on my journey. About 42 so far. And the way we can apply this to our lives is, is just stating these true truths out loud. The first one is that justification happens at a moment in time. The word justification is a legal term that's used in the Bible in both Old and New Testament, and it means to be declared righteous. And if you can imagine, because it would be appropriate, a courtroom where our lives are on trial and we're, we're standing before the judge, this is God the Father, and he closes, we're put on trial, and our case is closed in a moment of time. When the gavel hits and smacks, boom, declared guilty or innocent, justified or deserving of wrath. Now, in the, when we are declared righteous in heaven, there's a, in the courthouse in heaven, there's a book. And it's called the book of, of life. And at the moment of our justification, the Father writes our name in that book. It's recorded in the courthouse. It's in his handwriting. And it's because the Son has taken our defense 
and said, that person's with me. My righteousness on that person. And they put their faith in that. Justification is recorded a moment in time. Part two is the fruit of justification takes time. It's fruit. You plant a fruit tree, and then it takes a while, and then fruit emerges. And then as time goes by, the fruit tree gets bigger and stronger and produces more and better fruit. And I want you to also see in this, in this uh, description that James is referring to here that, that Abraham was not working for God. He didn't go with one of the other imposters of legalism. He was working with God. It was a relationship. It was repentance with a relationship. He's called the friend of God. That's his nickname in the Bible. And in our journey with Christ, we're not working for God. We're working with God. We're enjoying him. The joy of the Lord is in our souls. That's the real faith. James is going to say it one more time. I think officially he's knacking at this point. Verse 26, here's his summary. A bot for the body apart from the spirit is dead. Also, faith apart from works is dead. Soul leaves a body dead. There's no works in this faith. Dead. Here's an inventory. Here's a total list of his descriptions in these verses. Very clear. This fake faith, this imposter faith, it cannot save. It is dead. It is useless. Still dead. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So this passage is asking us to do an inventory of our own faith, our own walk with God. Have we chosen an imposter or are we living the real faith? A real faith in Christ would show us to be compassionate towards other people intrinsically, our hearts, our souls. And it shows itself. It's supposed to be visible. It has to be. We should have a peace and a tranquility about us that it can only be explained by a supernatural spirit igniting our spirit. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And the last application I I think is for so many people that when they read this section of Scripture, they want, to go for, they want to go from one imposter to another. Like from easy believism, like I don't have to do anything, to I'd better get busy and feel guilty. Boy, do churches do good at this. Get busy, get guilty. And that's not the answer. He's, you can't earn your way to God's favor. Going to church and praying, you know, in those seasons where you desperately need help, that doesn't cause you to have a relationship with God. Real faith, true faith in the gift of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that was provided, that has an absolute consequence where you want to go to church and worship with your brothers and sisters, where you want to be generous, where you're compelled to like, want to talk to God. That's called prayer. It's a, it's, it's a longing to know more about him, Bible study. It's like almost a compulsion within us. It's it's a deep drawing us to become like Christ in all of our lives. There's a time, and this is it, 
to end the ambiguity. If you're not sure, that ought to tell you something, <laughs> right? Why, why live another day with, like, I'm not sure? How about right now? Let Jesus Christ be king on earth as it is in heaven. I, I would do here what I would do in heaven. And, and not trying to earn his favor and not lying to ourselves thinking that we could have decaf Christianity because there is no such thing. And we absolutely surrender now. We receive the gift of salvation, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as an accounting towards a debt we owe God. And when we receive that, we, we become his. Because we're cleansed by the blood of, and the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection proved that, that that payment was full, now the Spirit invades our spirit and blows us up from the inside out. If you've never had that experience, today. Why not right now? Why don't we just, let's just close and talk to God about it. And I, let me, before we like actually pray, if you make that decision today, could you do what you could to like con- contact people at the church? We'd love to uh, connect you with one of our ministers or one of our pastors and have an interview. Make sure, you know, you understand everything. We don't want to be manipulative on this. This is very important. You can come by the desk and let us know about that out front or go online. And I think there's a drop-down thing where it says contact a pastor. Let, us, let people know so that we can get you on your faith journey together to become like Christ in all of your life. You're going to love what God has for your life. But right now, let's just pray. Let's apply what James is talking about very clearly. Lord, I, um, I know your spirit's weighing heavy on people that maybe have lived their whole life uh, betting their souls <laughs> on one of these imposters that they thought they could earn their way, that if, you, if, they, if they did enough good things that you'd like them. And as we sang, it's, it's the unrelenting love of yours that you, you sent Jesus, your only son, and our debt was so dark and your holiness was so bright that only Jesus the Christ could bridge that gap for us. Now, Lord, the, for some of the legalists, the do-gooders that put their faith in this lie of faith, I ask that I, I speak for them and I repent. I think that I could bring anything but evil or, or some kind of selfishness into our relationship. And I now, I surrender to the gift that you gave us in Jesus. I want to be yours. I receive that gift. His death was because of my sins. Lord, I, I, I come now. Uh, your spirit is maybe nagging people that thought that there was such a thing as faith without works. And they have a lot more evidence for a dead faith than they have for a live faith. So we're grateful for this message that James gives us out of compassion. It's time that we get sober about that. And we repent of that behavior and that value. And clearly, we never had real faith. And so, on this day, I surrender. I quit. I want, I want Jesus' death to die for me, and I want his resurrection to give me that spirit. And I want to live a life that's absolutely miraculous.
that has evidence of internal change, a dynamic change, a supernatural change that calls me and nags me to become like Christ in all of life. I pray for those people that know this story, and we're grateful for you running us down and chasing us to exhaustion where we could finally hear the truth and receive you a gift. We all gratefully pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody says, amen.